So as you get your Bibles open and ready, and if you didn't bring one, um, we will have it up on the screen for you as always. But it's Acts 14, um, and it's verses 21 to 28, is what we'll be covering this morning. Uh, before we dive into God's Word, I just want to update you on a few things from our bulletin, things that are going on in the church life. Please make sure we always have your updated email address. You can use our connection cards for that. They're in the, uh, so the seat backs in front of you. We send out a weekly email towards the end of the week that has all kinds of good information about what's coming up in the life of the church. It also points you to our website at trinityallenwood.com. Um, so you want to go there for uh, all the information and be able to uh, listen to sermons and see what's going on coming up. And so there's many ways to stay connected to Trinity so we all know what's going on. Uh, and of course, these bulletins are a great, great way as well. So you'll notice what's coming up for the week. Uh, we have the Ladies Book Club again. That's once a month. That's tomorrow, tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Uh, and then we have our theology class this week. Circle of Friends, of course, is still going strong. Uh, one of the community groups is still going. Uh, the softball team has had a few games already. It would be awesome if you could go and support them. Uh, it is uh, on the home field this Friday. Uh, Brielle Field, and that's uh, pretty close to here, so if, uh, especially if it's good weather and we're going to play, you should consider coming out to support the team. Uh, but just hold on to these and make sure that you keep note of everything that's going on. We have updates to our capital campaign. We're well on our way to reaching our goal, and so we want to continue to pray about how we can give towards that to reach our goal so we can make some much-needed improvements to the facility that God has blessed us with here. And then, of course, you'll see three words on the bottom of the page, which you'll hear more about during today's message. Learn, grow, and serve. Three words that are important to us here in a Trinity family that we gather often to learn about who God is and who we are uh, in His story and in His plan. And as we do that, we are changed and transformed and we grow. And then as we grow, we are then motivated to go and serve, to serve one another in the church uh, as Scripture tells us to do, but then also outside of these four walls to go and serve the community and the world around us, bringing the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, and so that kind of updates us on, on where we are. And so we are in Acts chapter 14. And just to kind of give you a quick review of where we are, we are ending the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul, of course, along with his partner uh, Barnabas. And so today's short passage at the end of chapter 14 is the, um, the story of the end of their first journey. And uh, there's something in particular that I wanted to point out this morning uh, as sort of our takeaway from the, the passage this morning about what happens to them on this journey as sort of a summary of what God brought them through and the journey they were on. But, you know, it was uh, as I was reading through this, it was a reminder that you know, we all have some kind of scar. You know, I bet you if I asked you to raise your hand, I bet you every one of you would say you have some kind of scar on your body. Maybe when you were a kid you fell or you had an operation or you, you did something really dumb and you have a scar. Some of us have many scars. <laughs> now, of course, many of us have scars that you can't see. And there's scars that scar our hearts and our, our spirits, our, our emotions, our minds. But you know what? We all have some kind of scar. And have you noticed, now I know it's been going on for thousands of years, but it just seems even more popular 
these days. Have you noticed how many TV shows there are about people getting tattoos? And however you feel about that, it's very common and popular now. And uh, many of us here in this room have a tattoo. You don't have to stand up and show it to us, please. It's all right. But, um, you know, but what is a tattoo? In a way, it's a, it's, it's a scarring. It's a, it's a mark on your body. And people get them for different reasons. Some, sometimes it's a piercing. There's ways that we brand ourselves and mark ourselves for certain reasons. Even simple things like the way that we dress, like the clothes we choose to wear, or even the music we choose to listen to, or the people that we surround ourselves with. These are all, in a way, uh, identifiers. The way to identify ourselves to the world around us, to the people around us, it's sort of like a mark that we carry to some degree or another. Some of us might wear a cross around our neck to remind us uh, of our faith. Some of us, again, maybe we get a tattoo or there's all these different ways that we as humans go about in our daily lives, whether we realize it or not, sort of marking ourselves and branding ourselves. But you know what's interesting is that Paul, on this first missionary journey that we're going to read about at the end of it, He reflects, in his book, uh, A Letter to the Galatian Churches, he reflects on having what he calls the marks of Jesus. We're going to see what that means to him and what that might look like to us. Now, I'm sure we would all have some some good, uh, funny and interesting stories about maybe some scars that we have. I know that I have some scars on my forehead from chicken pox. How many of you had chicken pox when you were little? Great. I had it when I was in my 20s, uh, along with Claudia, and we, we got it from our, our dear uh, daughter, Lauren. She was kind enough to, to sh- you know, share that. But when you get chicken pox as an adult, it can be pretty serious. And um, of course, you know, what do they tell you? Don't scratch them, because what happens is they leave a scar. So of course, I scratched them, you know, and you get a scar. Some of you might have that as well. I also have this great big scar on my, my thigh right here. This is when I was a kid, and my, my dad can attest to this. Um, I was a teenager, okay, I wasn't so young, but a, a foolish teenage boy, and I had this great alligator, it was a, a rubber alligator that I played with all the time, and um, so I, of course, I wanted to cut it open to see what was in the middle, but, and so I figured the best way to cut it open was to be to just put it on my leg and get a very dull knife, and so I started cutting, but of course, I assumed it was solid, but it was hollow, so once I got through the top, I went right through that alligator and right through my leg. So I can remember to this day sitting in the bathroom and just gushing blood. Isn't this a great picture? Just gushing blood. And what did I try to do? Because I know my dad was home, and he certainly wasn't going to be happy. He was on his way to work. And uh, so, of course, what I tried to do is I tried to put a Band-Aid on. It wasn't that. It was like this big. I put a Band-Aid on it. So I had about probably 10 Band-Aids. Oh, Dad, it's okay. It's okay. So, of course, we went to the hospital and... um, you know how they numb uh, uh, a cut like that, right? Before they're going to give you the, uh, the, scu- you know, the stitches. They put a needle right in them. All right, I won't keep going with that. So I got a big scar as a reminder of how foolish I was. So sometimes we have, we have scars like that that, um, that remind us of that. Um, but good or bad, we all have some kind of scar or marking or something physically or even, like I said, even mentally or spiritually or emotionally, that we, ca- that we carry with us. And those are reminders. Again, good or bad, they are reminders of a part of our story. Reminders of a particular event in our lives. 
Well, what's interesting here is that as Paul is um, as Paul and Barnabas are concluding their journey, and Luke, who wrote the book of Acts about the whole mission of the church and the early church, is recounting the story of their missionary journeys. What we see is that actually in the letter to the Galatian churches, a letter we went over uh, many months ago, if you remember, we went through the book of Galatians. If you remember, the, the, um, the whole title of that series, one word, was freedom. It's all about freedom. That's what the book of Galatians was. Well, it's interesting. The tie-in here is that Paul wrote the book of Galatians right after their first missionary journey. So right at the end of chapter 14 in the biblical timeline, Paul and Barnabas go back to the original church in Antioch. We're going to see that in a minute when we read through it. And when they come back, they're sort of on a furlough, so to speak, from their mission work. And before they even go to the Jerusalem Council, which happens in 15, we'll get to next week, while he's back at the church in Antioch, the original church, he writes a letter to the churches in Galatia. Now, why is that important? Because the churches in Galatia, we say the book of Galatians, those churches that make up the area, the region of Galatia, that this letter was sent to, are all the churches they visited on this first missionary journey. So Iconium and Lystra and Derby, all these, these cities that we were looking at that they went, they preached the gospel, and they planted churches. And so they went all around and they did that. And we're going to see now what they did is they backtracked the same path. Instead of just heading home, they went back around for a particular reason. We'll get to that in a moment. But when they finally got back, Paul, for various reasons, he wrote a letter to the churches in Galatia, which were the churches they had just left. He's already checking up on them. And you remember we talked all about freedom. Because there were some things going on already in that young, those young churches there that he needed to address. But in that letter in Galatians, Galatians 6.17, listen to what he says. So you can picture, they just got back from their missionary journey. They're back at the sending church in Antioch. And he's got to write a letter to these churches they just left already. And listen to what he says in Galatians 6.17. He says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. See, a mark can also be a reminder of who we belong to. Many Christians, if they get a tattoo, it's often a cross. Or maybe a Bible verse. It's a reminder in a way, maybe for them, of who they belong to. Maybe you wear a cross around your neck. Or something that is a reminder to you. Whatever it is, you carry something in your Bible. And something that's a part of you and identifies you, it reminds you who you belong to. You know, I know they still do this today, but you see it a lot in the Western movies. What did they used to do to cattle? They would brand them, right? So they would know whose it is. Do you know that the whole um, Hatfield and McCoy dispute? You ever read about that? The Hatfields and the McCoys, right? Back in the late 1800s down in um, Tennessee and Kentucky, West Virginia, Kentucky, I think. Um, supposedly, it all, well, it came out of the Civil War, but it, basically the, the biggest part of the feud started over a pig. And it was one family saying, that's my pig because that's my brand. And the other one says, no, that's my pig, that's my brand. And then from then on, they want to, isn't that something? 
What's interesting about that, and there was a, a great miniseries that they had on TV a couple of years ago about that, but what's interesting is that all they wanted to do was separate themselves from each other because they hated each other so much. But then what, what, what happened in our culture is that you can't say one without the other, right? They are forever combined, the Hatfields and the McCoys. But it was all over like a pig that was branded, and whose was it? Who did it belong to? So in many ways, we understand spiritually that we are branded in Jesus Christ, that we now belong to Him. We are bought with His blood. 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that we are no longer ourselves, but that we are bought with a price. And that price was the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul wrote to the Galatians, that letter to Galatians that we had been through, he wrote it right after this first missionary journey, and he says to them, I bear now on my body the marks of Jesus. Remember why that was? Remember what we read about a few weeks ago, what happened to Paul? He was stoned. Remember he was stoned and left for dead? They even thought he was dead. And they dragged him out of the city. And then miraculously how it says, he just he stood up, brushed himself off, and went back into the city. And he and Barnabas went on to continue to preach to great success. So now I want to read this passage from Acts 14, 21 to 28. It just um, it brings to conclusion the very first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. They kind of come full circle, and they end back up in Antioch. And that's where we're going to park ourselves for this morning to see exactly what did they learn from their first missionary journey? And what can we learn specifically from the fact that Paul reminds those churches, hey, look, I bear on my body the scars of my faithfulness to God and to you for preaching the gospel. And remembering that in some ways, we all bear the marks of Jesus Christ. But we ought to be reminded of what does that look like in our lives and what does it mean to be sold out for Him? Here's what it is, Acts 14, 21 to 28. It says this, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. See, they went back full circle where they had come from. Strengthening the souls of the disciples. Encouraging them to continue in the faith. And saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed to them, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how He had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Very simple, just a few verses. But do you see the picture of what's happening? It's pretty simple, right? They had finished their journey, and interestingly enough, they didn't continue from that last city of Derby then to go back to the church in Antioch. They actually traced their steps backward, back through every city they had been to, 
preached in Perga where they didn't get to preach before, but every place where they had preached and there was new believers and there was a young church, they visited them. They appointed elders, so they established like an organization, and they discipled them. They didn't just leave them to be, they discipled them. They came back to encourage them. It says in verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples. That is a hugely important part of the life of the church, and it still is. When I talk about these words, learn, grow, and serve, that's really the cycle of discipleship. That we're to continue to learn to be disciples of Jesus Christ. When we become believers and we make that decision to be His followers and His disciples, that is an ongoing process that lasts until the day He calls us home. And so Paul and Barnabas made their way back and said, let's check on these new believers. Let's make sure they're still in the Word of God, speaking and believing the truth making sure that they're encouraged and strengthened. And and let's appoint some elders, some of those that are a little bit more mature, and then understand the Scriptures, and that can then be leaders in the church. See, they wanted to make sure there was some organization too. Don't we have that here as well? Churches need to have some kind of organization, right? So that we make sure there's checks and balances and that we're moving all together in the same direction. See, that's what they were doing. This was early church planting. Now, you know, when churches send out missionaries or people, um, uh, people from a church, they get connected with a missionary organization. They go out and they serve. And every few years they come back in what we might call a break or a furlough. And they go back and what do they do? They visit the churches that support them, right? You're all familiar with this process. We still do it today. They visit the churches that, that um, support them. We do that here with the missionaries we support whenever we can do that. And they come and what do they do? They share what God has been doing through them and through their work on the mission field. And they get to encourage us and then they stay with us for a while. It's exactly what happened here. See, they went back through all those churches and they came back to Antioch, the original Antioch in Syria, the church that had sent them. And it said in verse 27, when they arrived back at their home church, they gathered everybody together. They declared what God had done with them how he opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained there with the disciples for a while. So they did. It's their first missionary journey. So it's pretty easy and simple to understand what that looks like. And so I wanted to point out one particular thing that happens. But before I do that, just also notice um, part of what they do. When, uh, when they come back through those churches to encourage the believers to remain faithful and uh, they also do it to make sure that there's no false teaching going on. You remember when they got back to Antioch, and he, Paul, as I said, he writes the letter to the Galatian churches, the book of Galatians. You remember when he talks all about freedom, why was he writing it? You remember the people that I kept mentioning, the Judaizers. These were these Christians, of course, who were Jews, now converted to Christianity, who now believe Jesus as Messiah. They were proclaiming a gospel that included works, that included circumcision. They said you need to be circumcised before you can be a true follower of Christ. And that was adding works to a gospel of grace. Remember that? We spent many weeks talking about that. So that's what Paul did. When he got back to Antioch, he already had word that there was trouble in the churches that they had just planted because there was already a negative influence 
from people teaching some bad theology. That is a really, um, that's a, that's a, a really powerful way that Satan gets at young believers by starting to get them to doubt or to, uh, to learn and to embrace uh, things that are not true and that are not in the Scriptures. So it's important that we stay in God's Word and that we teach and learn theology together. We do it on Wednesday nights, right? But that we stay in the truth because he realized, look, these are young believers and all of a sudden there's some people teaching them a false gospel. We went through all that in our study of Galatians. And so they had, they had gone through the churches before they even got back to Antioch to make sure that they were firm and strong. To also teach them to say, look, circumcision, while it is a mark, ironic, right? Circumcision is a mark. He is basically saying it's not a sign of commitment to Jesus, but it's really their scars of persecution when he goes on to say, I have the marks of Christ on my body he is saying those are the true marks of a follower of christ he, he tells them to stand firm in their faith and that truth is found in freedom so he had marks that prove his faithfulness paul did we often might wear something or get something on our bodies or do something to remind us about our faith and to remain faithful it's important to us why because we know that we're called to remain faithful even during times of adversity like paul and barnabas experienced he knew what it was like to face adversity we talked a few weeks ago all about persecution of the church we are to remain faithful to god as i said last week remembering the pain remember to get to sunday you got to go through friday Remembering the pain, remembering God's work in our lives, even when it seems God is silent. Don't we feel like that sometimes? We might hear that a lot from brothers and sisters in the Lord. They say, I just feel like God is silent in my life. I pray and I read and I go to church and I do all these things I know that I'm called to do, but somehow it seems God is so distant, like He is silent Can you imagine what Paul must have felt? Remember when he was stoned? Perhaps when there was a, when he was done just being brought out of that and he was ready to go and preach, there must have been a moment at least when he thought, God, why did you allow me to be stoned? Do you ever think about that? We know what we can learn from that, but why would God have even allowed the Apostle Paul to be stoned? Do you remember later on when Paul pleads with the risen Lord Jesus Christ to remove that thorn in his flesh. What does Jesus say? He says, no, he says, let my grace be sufficient. There's always a reason for adversity. And when it seems God may be silent, there is a reason we might sense that. More about that in a minute. We are to continue on being faithful just like Paul and Barnabas did on their first missionary journey. They are to have confidence. We are to have confidence just like they did. You know, one of my, my mentors, I would always ask him, he was so even keeled through many years of the ministry, ups and downs and, you know, uh, uh, infighting in the church and times of growth and times to see people walking away from the faith and struggles. I said, how do you keep it all together? How do you continue on day after day, year after year in the ministry? 
And he said, it's about confidence in the calling. When you're confident in your calling in Christ, no matter what that looks like, for us, if you're confident in your salvation, if you're confident in knowing that Christ has called you to Himself, then that is your firm foundation. We can weather any storm. The highs and the lows of life. We can have the proper perspective on things because we know that through all the changes in life, God never changes. Is that right? Thank you. Even when He seems distant, even when He seems uninterested in our lives, maybe He seems like He's not answering our prayers, the truth of Scripture is that He is still God. So ours is to trust that He is who He says He is and will do what He says He will do. We just remembered last week the cross of suffering and the joy of the empty tomb. If we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, then we have the most secure of foundations, don't we? That's why we say that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. For Paul even says, without it, we have no faith. Our preaching is in vain. We also are to remember that He is God and we are not. He sets the standards by which we live. We don't set our own standards. Scriptures teach us that He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. He has mercy on whom He has mercy. He hardens whom He hardens. Read it in Romans chapter 9. Exodus chapters 10 and 14. We're all tempted to doubt God's love for us. His compassion, His care for us at times in life. When things just aren't working out. We need to remember this though. If He has loved us enough to provide the body and blood of His Son for us that we may have eternal life, and if we are secure in our eternal salvation, then why would that same God abandon us on this side of heaven? Right? If we trust in God with our eternal security, why is it so hard to trust God that He'll bless us with the job that we need? Or bless us by answering those prayers in the way that He knows best? Even in those times where it may be seeming like He's silent, it doesn't mean that He is silent at all. Psalm 77 says this. The psalmist is crying out as he often does in the Psalms. It says, Will the Lord reject me forever? Will He never show His favor to me again? Has His unfailing love vanished forever? Has His promise failed for all time? That's Psalm 77. See, this prayer communicates the heart of a man who is focused on finding God. Later in Psalm 83, he says, O God, Do not keep silent. Be not quiet, O God. Be not still. Don't we often feel like that? God, where are you? You seem so distant. Show yourself to me. Answer my prayers. Fill me. At times, finding God can seem so difficult, even for those of us who are secure in our relationship with Him. Life brings many changes, doesn't it? What is it always said that Change is the only constant in life. Things are always changing. Maybe it's a loss of a job. Maybe it's a promotion. Maybe it's a marriage or a divorce. Maybe it's a birth of a child or 
the death of a loved one. Even when change is positive, it can interrupt our feelings of well-being and, and um, sort of our comfort zone. We all have that comfort zone. But we can bring up that question time and again, where is God anyway? Why am I having such a difficult time in finding God? It's important to remember Jeremiah 29. He says, you will seek me and find me when you search me with all your heart. I will be found by you. I will be found by you. See, what happens is sometimes we just feel like God is far from us. But we have to be careful of basing everything on our emotions, don't we? We might feel that God is distant. But He told us in His Word, which we need to stand on, that He will never leave us or forsake us. Jesus says that in Hebrews 13. And God never lies. So therefore, what we need to do is reject those unfounded thoughts, those unfounded conclusions about our current circumstances that contradict what we know about God from His Word. We are called to walk by faith and not by sight. says in 2 Corinthians. So if we know something to be true in the Scriptures, but we're feeling something different, are you going to trust your feelings and emotions? Or are you going to trust the Word of God? If you feel God is distant and not answering your prayers, but the Word of God says that He's not a liar, and the Word of God says that He's a promise keeper, He has fulfilled all these prophecies and will continue to do that. And He has provided His one and only Son for you in your eternal security. Are you going to put your trust in that? Or are you going to put your trust in a fleeting feeling that somehow God has abandoned you? I'm not saying it's easy. But we need to remember the truth of God's Word. We go back to Psalm 77. When he cried out saying, God, don't be silent. Are you going to let this... These, my adversaries um, fall on me all the time. When he, he says, are you going to reject me forever? You're never going to show me your favor again? But then as he often does, the psalmist comes to his senses, as it were. And he says later on in Psalm 77, okay, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I'll remember your miracles of long ago. I'll meditate on your works and consider your mighty deeds. The scars that we carry with us, no matter what they look like. The marks we put on ourselves, intentionally or unintentionally. They remind us of our story. But they are to remind us of God's presence in our life. Good or bad, God is there with us. See, when Paul and Barnabas went back through those churches to go back home, They appointed leaders. They set them up to grow, making sure they were healthy. But they began the process of discipleship. Teaching them how to live for Christ. What does that mean, to be a disciple? In essence, it's learning to remember. In essence, discipleship is learning to remember. Learning to remember to be faithful and how to be faithful. Discipleship is described this way. Listen to these words. Christian discipleship is the process by which disciples grow in the Lord Jesus Christ and are equipped by the Holy Spirit who resides in our hearts to overcome the pressures and trials of this present life to become more and more Christ-like. 
There's many ways to describe discipleship. But the marks of a disciple, just like the marks that the Apostle Paul carried on him, are these. Putting Christ first, that means, in essence, worship. When we worship, we are putting God first. Following the teachings of Christ, that's obedience. Letting Him lead, that is our submission to our Lord. Loving one another, that's our fellowship and a big part of discipleship. And of course, sharing the gospel, evangelizing, letting people know about the hope that is within us. These are all, these are all things that we do as disciples, marks of a true disciple. We must be committed to that discipleship cycle that we learn, we grow, and we serve, and we repeat that. See, Paul and Barnabas, they did this. Think about it this way. As they, as they backtracked through their journey to go back home, checking on all the Christians, they were also maturing, weren't they? They weren't mature, fully mature followers of Christ when Christ set them out from the church in Antioch. They learned as they went. And sometimes they learned the hard way. But all the while, who did they let do the leading? The Holy Spirit. They let God do the leading. Even Paul and Barnabas had to learn that. So they learned by doing. They learned it out on the mission field. In success and failure, in comfort and in their conflict, they still praise God and they preach the gospel all the way. Remember, when Paul was stoned and left for dead, he got up, brushed himself off, went back into the city. They had just dragged him out of it. He got Barnabas. He said, let's go on. We're going to the next city to preach the gospel. See, Paul had marks of his faithfulness and his commitment to the Lord. The question this morning is, what things in your life mark your faithfulness to Jesus? And what things in your life give evidence to your trust in Him. What are those things in your life that show others that you're faithful to your Jesus? And what things in your life give evidence that you put your faith and trust in Him every day? Let me end this message where I began. We all have some kind of scar or marking that represents a certain event in our lives. Again, Maybe events we don't want to remember. Some about our foolishness when we were young. Others, perhaps, we put there for a reason to remind us in a positive way. But it's all part of who we are. Those marks, those scars, they are part of our story. The Apostle Paul had scars. He called them the marks of Jesus in his letter to Galatians. He called them the marks of His faithfulness of living in Christ because those marks were part of His story. And as He wrote that letter to all those churches, once He got back, He wrote that letter to say, stay strong in your freedom in Christ. Stay strong in your freedom and remember what you gave up for that freedom. Because freedom comes at a cost. And Paul carried the marks of Jesus, as he called them, for being stoned and being cast out. He would carry them with him the rest of his life. But there's somebody else we know about in Scripture who also has marks and scars. 
to Lord Jesus. Remember the nail-scarred hands that He has. Scars which remained even in His glorified body. Did you ever think about that? Remember when He appeared after His resurrection in His glorified body. He appeared to many, to 500. Remember the disciple who was doubting? What do we call him? Doubting Thomas, right? And what did Jesus do? He said, hey, here's my hands. And even in His resurrected body, He kept the scars. I'd like to think that means when we get to see Jesus face to face in heaven, that He will still have those nail-scarred hands as a reminder that to get to the empty tomb, He had to go through the cross. He showed those marks to Thomas that he would not doubt, but believe. The marks of Jesus Christ also tell an amazing story. And it's a story that we should never forget. I want to end uh, today's message with a video. It's just a few minutes long. But let this be just a way to sort of conclude this, I, uh, this idea of being branded for Christ and what it means to carry that mark of Him on our new hearts that He's given us. That we are now bought with a price so we are no longer our own. And remember, in those times of doubt and insecurity, in those times when we feel like God is silent and not speaking to us, Jesus does the same for us that He did to Thomas. He shows us His marks, His brands that He took for us to show that not only we belong to Him, but He belongs to us. Let's watch this video together.
let's stand and pray. Gracious, heavenly, compassionate, loving Father, we cannot thank you enough for your Son Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. We thank you that by his wounds we are healed. Help us to always remember the scars in our life for those parts of our story that we need to reflect on and remember. But most importantly, God, help us to remember that we are now marked by you, that you now own us, that we are yours. You are our shepherd, and we are your loving sheep. God, would you always go before us through your Holy Spirit to lead the way, remembering, uh, helping us to remember the story that we have to tell, and that, God, we would always be encouraged to know that those scars remain as a reminder of Christ's sacrifice for us, that if He died for us, that we are simply to live for Him. God, we thank You for the truth of Your Word, for the great example of the Apostle Paul, the scars that he bore on his body, God, help us to remember that we are called to endure as well through trials and tribulations, whatever we may experience in this life, because you are always with us. We thank you for that, and we thank you now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.